Obstinate had been searching for nearly 20 minutes with increasing nettlement when he finally located his neighbor, Pliable, standing beyond the farthest edge of his field, his face turned out toward the distance. He was leaning all his weight on a walking stick which had been slowly sinking into the ground, as if to mark the duration of his idleness as he stood staring out at nothing in particular, as far as Obstinate could tell. "'There you are,' Obstinate barked, looking down with no little annoyance at his shoes, which were also beginning to sink into the wet and heavy soil. "'Is there some reason you've made yourself so impossible to find? I've been searching for more than an hour.' "'Oh?' Pliable glanced back at him for only a moment before his gaze returned to the horizon. "'So sorry, but you've found me now.' "'You seem disinterested. I suppose you don't really want your plow back, hmm?' Pliable perked up and swiveled around the stick to face his friend. You brought my plow? Yes, it's in my waistcoat pocket. Pliable laughed. Oh, you're so funny, obstinate. But, uh, but you did bring it? Actually, I came to let you know I'll be keeping it a bit longer. How much longer? Indefinite. Pliable shifted his weight, still leaning heavily on his staff. I don't know about that. You said yourself that you don't need it. I don't think I did say that. Obstinate took a step toward his neighbor, face hard and unflinching. Oh, pliable. This is why so few of us enjoy your company. You're always reversing course. You said you were looking to buy a new one. One of those nice Dutch plows with a lighter blade. What do you need two plows for? You have no sons? No wife, even. Will you stand astride them both at the same time? Pliable licked his lips and thought, You do bring up a good point. I suppose it's about time I upgraded. It's just that... What? Well, it will take some time to acquire another one. Could I maybe borrow mine back, just for a week or so? I'm afraid that won't be possible. I don't have it at the moment. You... what? <sighs> this is what's happening. I do not have your plow. I've rented it to Mr. Lechery, and it's not due back until early next week. He locked eyes with Pliable until the latter let his gaze drop to the ground. Is there a problem? Well, it, it just seems a bit irregular for you to... Isn't it right and fair, Obstinate demanded, when a man is holding property for him to do with it as he pleases, whether to use it, leave it idle, or rent it out? Well, yes. Did you not actually intend to lend it to me, or were there some strings attached to the deal, of which I was not aware? No, of course not. I, I'm sorry. Apology accepted, Obstinate smiled. I'll tell you what. Come Monday next, I'll have the plow back, and you may certainly use it. For the whole week, if you like. Oh, good. Th thank you. No problem at all. Now, Mr. Lechery is paying two guilders per week. Three, if I find signs of wear. Being an honest man, I'm sure you'd want to pay the going rate. Now, neighbor obstinate, that hardly seems fair. For two men to pay the same rate seems unfair to you? Pliable opened his mouth to answer, but came up empty. Look, you know I make it a rule to remain inflexible in matters of business, but since you and I are friends, friends from childhood, Pliable interjected, well, don't make a big flap about it. I already admitted we're friends and that that should count for something. Agreed? Yes, ag agreed, and thank you. All right then, because we're friends and only because we're friends, you may use the plow for one week at the cost of just one gilder. That's half off. That, that seems a good price. All right then, and I'll need that up front by tomorrow. Pliable nodded happily. You'll have it, and thank you again. Don't mention it. He looked down at the muck creeping up around his feet. 
I ought to have made you throw in some black for my shoes, dragging me all the way out to the edge of the earth to find you. By the way, what are you even doing here, staring out at that plane? Doesn't your field end a few furlongs back? I was following a man. Following a man through your own field? Yes, the oddest thing. It was that man Christian. Do you know him? He lives closer to town. He was walking through my field, talking to himself, louder and louder. He stopped right where you and I are talking now and was shouting into the air. Really? Is he all right? I couldn't say. He walked through my field and beyond, met up with a stranger whom I've never seen before. The two of them spoke briefly... And then Christian began running off in that direction, hands over his ears, bellowing something like, Life! 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 at the top of his lungs. Then he disappeared into the distance. I found it terribly fascinating. He had the sense of a man leaving on a great adventure. I'd half a mind to go with him. In fact, I think I was building up the courage to try and catch up to him when you happened by. Just fascinating. Obstinate crossed his arms over his chest. Fascinating. Really. Oh, very much so. Truth be told, I've never known what lies off in that direction. Perhaps we should both join him. Might be a welcome change of pace. Go with him? Tush. I know what he'll find traveling that way. Trouble, hardship, and possibly death. You're right, of course, Pliable said. A very foolish idea. We have to bring him back. Unquestionably, I fear for his life. Obstinate rebuttoned his coat and said, It's settled then. Let's go do our good deed for the day, neighbor Pliable. Rescue this lamb from the pit, as it were. Yes, let's. By the by, do you really need that walking stick? Pliable wavered. I think I do. My hip has been tightening up on me of late. I'll tell you what. I'll use it on the way out, and you can have it for the way back. Sound fair? Oh, more than fair, Pliable said, handing it over. And the two of them began walking at a steady clip toward the middle of the plane. Hi and Silver and Gutcheck Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 2 Despond. Christian's initial burst of energy burned out quickly as the light in the distance seemed to grow no closer during a full ten minutes of running at full speed. The straps on his burden were chafing and rubbing against his skin, and a stitch in his side slowed him to a walk. Bent both crooked to the side and downward under the weight of the burden on his back, he pressed on in the same direction, but with a fraction of his initial zeal. After another half-hour of hobbling, he entered a clearing and heard the distant voices of two men behind him, calling out. At first he thought it might be his ears playing tricks on him, but before long it became clear. They were shouting his name. Christian! Christian! Christian, hold back for a moment! This idea struck Christian just fine, and so he found a place to sit on a soft moss-covered fallen tree, and a moment later the two men came clambering out of the woods. There you are, one of them said, stopping to kick his shoes against the walking stick he carried, knocking free a few clumps of dirt. Had I known how much of this day I'd spend chasing my neighbors through uncharted lands, I'd never have left home this morning. Obstinate and pliable! The sight of these men awakened Christian to the stark sense of loneliness which had been building since he left Evangelist's side, or perhaps he realized long before that. I'm certainly glad to see you both, but what on earth are you doing out this way? We're here to persuade you to come back with us, Pliable said. 
Don't you know you're headed for trouble, um, hardship, and uh, what, possibly death and destruction? I think you're a bit confused, Christian laughed. Destruction is what I'm leaving behind. Obstinate mopped sweat from his neck with a handkerchief. What you're leaving behind is your friends, your family, and all the comforts of your life. Come now, enough silliness, let's go back. Back where? To the city of our birth? The city of destruction? Mark my words, friends. Wherever we go, we will one day die. But if we die there, we will sink lower than the grave. Into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. And I mean to avoid it. Be content, good neighbors, and go along with me. Obstinate pulled out his watch and glanced impatiently at the time. I'm afraid the two of us are rather too grown up to spend our days talking to ourselves, frolicking through fields and reading books full of fairy tales with strange vagabonds. We have lives, Christian. I have a wife and children just as you do, and and Pliable here is perhaps, what, the fifth most eligible bachelor in the city? If not the fourth, Pliable said. Mm, I think the fifth. Fair enough. At any rate, he too has a house and fields, and soon he'll have a brand new Dutch plow with which to rotate his crops. Crops, which I might add, have yielded more and more each year for the better part of a decade. Why would we ever consider leaving all that behind to follow you to who knows where, all the while risking life and limb? I'll tell you why, Christian said. Because all that you forsake is not even worthy to be compared with the smallest fraction of what I'll enjoy where I am headed. And if you go with me, and if you endure, you can fare as well as I do. Where I'm going, there is enough to spare. Come, you'll see. You're being more than a little vague, Obstinate said. What exactly are these things you expect to find that are worth leaving everything behind? Christian absentmindedly thumbed the pages of his book and said, An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that can never fade away. Pliable, your crops may be multiplying now, but next season, drought or blight may bring them to nothing. The inheritance I am after is safe and secure, laid up in heaven. And it will be bestowed at the appointed time on everyone who diligently seeks it. He extended the book toward his neighbors. Have a look for yourselves. Tush, obstinate spat. Away with your book. Will you go back with us or not? No. I've laid my hand to the plow and I cannot so much as look back. Obstinate slapped a mosquito, flattening it against his forearm. Come then, Pliable, let's head back. We tried, didn't we? What about you, Pliable? Christian said. Will you join me? Of course he won't join you. He's got a life to live back in our fair town. Obstinate looked from Christian to Pliable, shaking his head sullenly. It seems that our friend Christian has joined the company of crazy-headed coxcombs. And you know what they say about crazy-headed coxcombs. Uh, Um... No? What do they say? When they've taken a fancy to a fool's errand, they become so wise in their own eyes that seven level-headed men couldn't show them the error of their ways. Don't don't mock him, Pliable said. If half of what good Christian says is true, what he's seeking after is far better than what you and I combined can hope to acquire in a lifetime. I'm inclined to go with him. What, more fools still? Listen to me, Pliable. Have I ever led you astray? I mean... You must be joking. This is the thanks I get for looking after your interests since we were children? Do you have any idea how many times I've saved you from being taken for a fool? Looked out for you? Listen to me. I know what is best for you. Come back with me. Who knows where this brain-sick fellow will lead you? Be the wiser man. Christian put a hand on Pliable's shoulder. Don't let him make this decision for you. Okay, for once in your life, set your own course. You can come with me. 
Everything I've promised is waiting for us, and many more glories beside. If you won't take my word for it, read it here in my book. It's all confirmed by the blood of him who wrote it. Obstinate scoffed. <laughs> blood? You have got to be kidding me. Pliable's face twisted in painful, paralyzed indecision for what seemed like a full minute. Then he firmly set his face toward Obstinate and declared, I intend to go along with this good man and to cast my lot in with him. Turning back toward Christian, he asked, But tell me, do you know the way to this incredible place? I do. The man I met at the edge of your field, Evangelist, he told me to make haste to the wicket gate up ahead and there we will receive further instruction about the way. Pliable nodded, satisfied. Well then, let's be on our way, Christian. Uh, obstinate, you can keep the plow. I was going to keep it either way, he muttered, turning back and retracing his steps the way he'd come. But if you're headed back... Obstinate stopped in his tracks. Well, look who's found his nerve. He laughed derisively and tossed the walking stick toward the two travelers. It rolled along the ground and came to rest against Pliable's foot. Enjoy hitching your wagon to this fantastical fool, Obstinate called out as he walked off. Fools leading fools into more and more foolishness. I tell you, it's a silly disgrace what happens with these people now. When he disappeared again into the woods, Pliable reached out his hand and helped Christian up from the tree trunk. Thank you, Pliable. I don't mind saying I'm very glad you were persuaded to come with me. I do wish Obstinate had as well, and I'm sure he wouldn't have rejected the idea so lightly if he'd ever felt even a fraction of what I've experienced, the powers and terrors of what remains unseen. Persuaded? I've never seen him persuaded to do anything. But there are two of us traveling now, and I'm persuaded, and eager to learn more about what lies ahead. Tell me more about the, the things we'll enjoy where we're going. Well, it's easier to think them in my mind than actually describe them, but since you're curious, I'll read to you from my book as we walk. And you're sure these words are true? Without a doubt, they were written by him who cannot lie. Well then, tell me, what waits for us? There is an endless kingdom to be inhabited, and everlasting life to be enjoyed there. Well said, well said, and uh, what else? Crowns of glory will be given us, and, and garments that will make us shine like the sun in the very firmament of heaven. Nice, nice, and what else? There will be no more crying, or sorrow, or pain, for the king of that land will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Oh, I love it! And, and what company shall we have there? We'll be in the company of cherubim and seraphim, creatures that will dazzle your eyes and perplex your mind. We will also meet with thousands and tens of thousands who have gone before us, none of whom will hurt you or lie or, or take advantage of you, pliable. Rather, they are loving and holy, walking in the sight of God and, and standing in his presence forever. There will be elders with their golden crowns, holy virgins with golden harps, and men who were in this life cut to pieces, burned with flames, eaten alive by vicious beasts, or, or drowned in the sea for the love of their Lord and his kingdom. They're alive and well and, and clothed with immortality. Pliable grinned. Just hearing about this is enough to ravish my heart. But how can we be partakers of these things? We're, we're just ordinary men. The governor of that country has decided that these things will be freely bestowed on all who are truly willing to have them. Amazing. Why are we inching along like this with all of that waiting for us? Let's, let's pick up the pace, Christian. I'm afraid I can't walk as fast as I'd like because of this, this burden on my back. But I'll, I'll do my best to match you stride for stride, compliable. Let us make some progress.
The two of them made good time for more than an hour. Pliable asked the occasional question, but due to his heavy burden, Christian was short of breath and only gave him the briefest of answers. Finally, Christian stopped for a moment of rest, doubled over, hands on his knees. He noticed that the ground was growing even wetter and his feet were sinking into it more with each step. What's more, the trees were closing in above them, which, with the growing clouds, seemed to turn mid-afternoon almost to dusk. Pliable noticed the change as well. My head is beginning to swim, he said. I do not like this place, Christian. Nor do I. But I see no other option but to push ahead. He stood straight and resumed his former pace. Are you coming? Pliable shrunk back. I... I don't know. This does not look like what you promised. At all. Pliable, it's it's beyond this. Have you never taken a trip before? How often must one pass through a bad place to arrive at a good one? Come, come on. He grabbed his companion by the wrist, took two steps forward, and suddenly found himself dropping into a miry swamp. His feet hit the muck at the bottom, which had both a slimy give and a suction take, pulling Christian down until he was up to his chest in mud and filth. You fool! Pliable yelled behind him. You've pulled me into this slough! Oh, I should have listened to Obstinate. I don't think he ever did steer me wrong. You are a crazy-headed coxcomb. I don't feel good. I feel, feel dizzy. Christian wasn't even listening. He'd noticed that what little daylight had endured was now all but gone, although it couldn't have been later than three in the afternoon. Unable to see much of anything, it wasn't until he felt the surface of the swamp touch his chin that he realized the gravity of his situation. If he were completely sucked under, Christian could not see any way to recover and continue on with his pilgrimage. His burden would indeed sink him down lower than the grave. An overwhelming sense of dread gripped him, mixing in with the dizziness and nausea. To perish here was perhaps worse than dying in the city of destruction. At least there he would be together with his family and friends. Time passed, but how much he had no idea. The memory of falling into the swamp was as fresh as if it had happened a moment ago, but at the same time, to remember back to before this place was like remembering his childhood or another place in time he'd only read about and never really experienced. The stink of the place, rotting organic matter and the sulfurous stink of rotten eggs so permeated everything that Christian couldn't believe the smell hadn't warned him off before he fell in. All at once he became aware of two things. First, that he had been unconsciously and very tenuously shuffling forward the entire time he'd been in the slough. And secondly, that the ground beneath his feet had less give here where he stood than it did near the edge of the swamp. He was able to go up on his toes here and gain a few more inches, making it easier to breathe. This flicker of hope was immediately snuffed out by a third realization. Even if the ground beneath him were bedrock, his burden was now waterlogged with the filthy muck, heavier than it had been by a factor of three or four. Unless he could somehow release the burden from his person, he would not be able to climb out of his own strength. Christian! Pliable called out from a distance behind him. Where are you now? I... I don't know. Truly, I, I'm... I'm so lost. I'm near the edge. I think I can pull myself out. Can you make your way to me? No. My burden is pulling me down. I can't go forward and... 
I certainly can't go back. Christian, I'm, I'm out! I'm out! Follow the sound of my voice. You can do it. No, I'm... I'm stuck here, Pliable. I can't move. Besides, you are on the wrong side of the slough. The wrong side? What? Are you still entertaining these foolish ideas? Life everlasting and virgins with the harps and all the rest? You, you've almost gotten us killed! Is this the happiness you've been going on about? This is the ecstatic journey's end? You suck to the bottom of a swamp? A curse on you and your nonsense. Pliable! Pliable! No, come back. What a terrible day. Lost my plow and now my favorite walking stick. And of course, these clothes are ruined. Garments that shine like the sun. More like garments that stink like the dung. <laughs> stink, stink like the dung. Oh, God. What a fool I've been. A grown man with a business and a home and a crops to raise and all this stuff. Christian was now almost completely beneath the muck. Pulled backwards and downwards by the heavy burden, only his eyes, nose, and mouth remained above. He shuffled forward a few more steps toward the far side of the swamp, inches closer to the wicket gate, but even the thought of arriving there did nothing to lift his spirits. Everything seemed meaningless here, hopeless. And not as if the presence of this muck was blotting out the hope and meaning of life. Rather, it was as if the muck was revealing a deeper truth that Christian had known all along. All is vanity. Useless. Pointless. Nothing. Something slithered against Christian's left ankle, jarring him from his stupor. He could feel scales sliding past him, then circling around and simultaneously rubbing against his right leg at the knee, moving in the opposite direction. He sputtered frantically, trying to steal a breath, but instead tasting the filth and muck as it filled his mouth. He spit it out just as the creature beneath the surface began to tighten around him. Sir, take my hand! Take my hand, take it! Desperately rolling his eyes in their sockets, Christian could barely make out the form of a man to his right, reaching toward him with an outstretched arm. Then suddenly a shaft of light broke through the clouds and trees and Christian could see him clearly. With every ounce of effort at his disposal, he brought his right hand up slowly through the thick, mucusy muck to the surface of the swamp and out into the cool air. The man gripped him tightly at the forearm, and despite the sliminess of the gunk, he was able to pull him entirely free from the swamp's grip and the reach of the creature below. As he rolled onto his back, gasping for air, the light and warmth of the afternoon began to return. Christian ran his filthy hands through his filthier hair and, with much effort, sat up. It was then that he realized he'd been dragged out on the far side of the swamp the side nearest the wicket gate. Oh, th thank you so much, Christian said. I'm, I am in your debt, Mr. Uh, my name is Help, and you're certainly welcome. But I have to ask you, what were you thinking going for a swim in the Slough of Despond? Sir, I was told to go this way by a man named Evangelist. Evangelist told you to jump into the swamp? I find that hard to believe. He told me to head toward the shining light and the wicket gate that I might escape the wrath to come. I was following his directions when I fell into the swamp, or the, the slough of despond, as you call it. But why didn't you look for the steps? 
came on me so fast, I, I had no idea what was happening. But I have questions for you as well, sir. First of all, what is this slough filled with? It smells putrid and feels like death itself sucking you down into the grave. And there's something alive in there. It's the low point, where all the runoff of scum and filth that goes along with the conviction of sin gathers. Naturally, then, Beelzebub sends some of his bottom feeders to look for easy targets. Runoff? Yes, whenever a sinner is awakened to his lost and hopeless condition, there's a byproduct in his soul, fears and doubts and deep anxiety, and this place is where all of that settles. But this swamp is directly between the City of Destruction and the Wicket Gate. Why isn't it filled in and made suitable for travelers? Well, many have tried to do just that, and it's certainly not the pleasure of the king that this place remains as it is. Over the years, his royal surveyors have sent innumerable workers to come and fill it in with rocks and gravel. The project has been going on for more than 1,600 years, and I myself have seen the royal records indicating that at least 20,000 cartloads containing millions of sound instructions from all over the king's domain have been brought here to make the land more passable. Now understand, these are absolutely the best materials to turn the slough into good ground, and yet it remains the slough of despond. Christian pulled himself to his feet. Almost seems like a cruel joke, though, to send a man down a road that disappears into a swamp. Well, there were signs, Help said. Signs you obviously missed, and of course there are the steps that would take you right through the midst of the slough. He gestured back at the burbling clay, now well lit by the sun. I see them now, Christian said, although the bubbling filth seems to have covered them over in a sheet of slime, but I had no idea they were there before. That is a common thing. The weather, a trick of the light, can hide them. I'm glad I found you when I did and could help you. And be assured, Christian, the ground is good here. Godspeed, my friend. Setting off from there, Christian was surprised at how quickly his burden dried out, and his clothes as well. Before long, he was moving at a good pace once again and felt like the better part of the day's progress might still be ahead of him. Just then, he spotted a man in the distance, walking toward him. As he drew closer, Christian could see that the man was incredibly fashionable and foppish, wearing a long coat, vest, baggy breeches gathered at the knee, cravat, and periwig. Christian became newly aware of his own tattered rags, filthy burden, and mud-encrusted hair, and he studied the ground as they were about to cross paths. "'Christian, I presume,' the man said. "'Is it you?' Christian looked up at the man's face, which was altogether unfamiliar. "'Do I know you, sir?' "'No, but I've heard of you. My entire town has been talking about how you set off on pilgrimage, leaving all behind.' "'Really? And what town might that be?' Oh, just up the highway from destruction, the town of Carnal Policy. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, I'm, I'm being so rude. My name is Mr. Worldly Wiseman. He began to reach for Christian's hand, but glanced down and seemed to think better of it. All of us in Carnal Policy have been dying to know where are you headed in such a burdened manner? Christian leaned against an alder tree and looked down at himself. Burdened manner indeed, he said. I'm, I'm headed to the wicket gate ahead of me. There I shall no longer bear this burden. And I cannot get there too soon. I have no idea how much longer I can go on like this. 
Tell me, do you have a wife? Children? I, I do. A lovely wife and four sweet boys. I love them so much, and, and yet, because of this burden, I can't even enjoy their company like I used to. It's as if I have no family at all. Mr. Wiseman drew nearer, looking about conspiratorially and pulling a silk hanky over his nose and mouth, talking through it to Christian. If I were to give you some advice, some wise counsel, would you consider it? I mean, really consider it. I, I certainly would. I'm in need of good counsel. And what you want is to lose your burden, which has kept you from enjoying God's good blessings in this life, correct? Exactly. Well, I have to ask, who told you this is the way to lose your burden? A man named Evangelist. He opened my book and showed me where... Evangelist? I know him! He laughed uproariously. <laughs> what a wicked sense of humor that man has! You see, there is no more dangerous or troublesome way in the world than the way he sent you out on. And by the look and uh, smell of you, I ascertain you've already discovered this. Listen, Christian, I'm older than you, I'm wiser than you, and I'm telling you, if you keep on this path, you will meet with more of the same. Even worse. Hunger, peril, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, in a word death and whatnot, and you would endure all this at the word of a stranger? You don't understand. This burden on my back is, is far worse than all of those things combined. It grows heavier by the hour. The cords are even now digging deeper into my flesh. I don't care what I might come across between here and the gate. I'd go through anything to be rid of it. Sounds awful. How did you come by this burden? By reading this book. Worldly Wiseman nodded. I thought as much. The book provides the problem, and then you believe it when the book provides the answer? Listen, this same thing has happened to many weak men. They meddle in things beyond their grasp and suddenly fall into the same diversions. These men find themselves unmanned and chasing after desperate ventures to obtain they know not what. That doesn't describe me at all. I know exactly what I want to obtain. Yes, yes, but I can show you a far better way to obtain it, without the dangers and suffering. Instead, you'll find safety and friendship, and it's nearby. Are you serious? As a plague of locusts. Well, then please, open this secret to me. There is a village not far from here called Morality. There you will find, at the top of the hill, the house of a gentleman whose name is Legality. A very judicious man with much experience removing that sort of burden from the backs of people who are, how do I put this, crazed in their wits because of them. This man will happily receive you, and his house is not quite a mile from where you now stand. Christian felt a surge of hope. This is incredible news, and you're sure he'll be home? If he's not, his son will be. Christian closed his eyes and recited, Village of Morality, Mr. Legality, or his son... Civility, his son. Very handsome young man, and a fine dresser, too. His name is Civility. Either of them can help you. And might I suggest that, rather than going back home to the city of destruction, once that burden is removed, and of course you've bathed, you simply send for your family to join you there in the village of morality. There are many good houses for sale, at very reasonable prices. There you'll be happier than ever. Good neighbors, good schools, good soil if you plant crops, a good church. I myself go to church there. All right, Christian said. All right, you've sold me. I'll go, just point the way. Do you see the high hill off to the southeast? I see it. I'd, I'd almost call that a mountain. That's the one. Head toward it, and the first house you will come to 
is his. So Christian turned out of the way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. Upon turning back from the slough of despond, Pliable had become disoriented. The darkness and dizziness of the place, followed immediately by the harsh light of the sun, caused him to venture deeper into the woods, and before long he was all turned around. However, by noting the position of the setting sun in the sky and traveling toward a fixed point in the distance, he was able to make his way back to the City of Destruction, eager to find his friend obstinate and fill him in on what had happened. To that end, he made his way up High Street toward the Crown, obstinate's favorite pub, but he never got close. As he walked up the street, people began to point at him and whisper to one another. At first he assumed it was simply because he was covered in the remnants of the swamp, but then a crowd began to form around him. What are you doing here? One man asked. Yeah, an old woman chimed in. I thought you'd left us to perish in fire and brimstone. Now you're back? Smart of him to come back, Mr. Lightmind said. I've known a few in my days who ventured out that way and were never heard from again. I'd never go, mind you, but I'm more sensible than most. If I did go, another shouted. I wouldn't have given up after a few difficulties. He fell in some mud. So what? Pliable shrunk back and tried to slink away, but bumped into Obstinate behind him, who regarded him with disdain and gave him a shove. First my shoes and now my coat? Are you determined to ruin every garment I own? Sorry, Pliable said. I, I just... I, I. He was going to have everlasting life, Obstinate announced. Virgins feeding him grapes and trifles growing on trees, an endless inheritance. Now what? You've come back here with us unwashed masses? He doesn't even have a plow anymore. He gave it to me. I was led astray, Pliable said quietly. Oh, someone run and tell the gazetteer Pliable's been led astray. It was that man Christian. He's crackers, of course, and... Well, I guess for a short time I caught his frenzy. At least I came to myself quickly. Is Christian still on pilgrimage? A young woman asked. The crowd had now grown to the point of nearly blocking the street. I guess so. If he made it out of that slough, he refused to come back to me. The fool. Perhaps he has some Italian blood and loves soaking in the mud baths. Pliable noticed a woman standing just beyond the mob, watching him, surrounded by four boys. Oh, no. Christiana. He broke from the gathered rabble and headed toward her. Christiana, I'm sorry, I... She turned and silently herded her children away. Pliable kept going up the street, trying to ignore the guilt and shame he felt for leaving Christian sinking in that swamp, and then publicly mocking him to distract from his own teetering constitution. He stopped to wait for a passing carriage and felt someone staring at him from across the street. Looking up, he saw the town blacksmith, or one of them. What was his name? He stood at the edge of the street, in front of his shop, clad in his heavy leather apron, holding up a finger, beckoning Pliable. He wasn't mocking or laughing, but for some reason it increased Pliable's shame all the more. He turned quickly away and skulked off, taking a roundabout route home via back streets. The blacksmith watched Pliable scurry away like a chastised dog. He shook his head in bemusement and wandered back into the shop. There, he removed his apron and hung it on its peg. His partner, Revelry, was closing up for the night, placing each tool and instrument exactly where he liked it. 
The sight of revelry reminded him to double-check his apron. Yes, it was his. He'd been thinking perhaps they had unintentionally switched, as for at least two days it had seemed long on him. Or maybe the crick in his back was to blame. Several of their friends had commented on his hunched posture, joking that revelry must be leaving him to do all the hard work himself, bent over the forge and anvil all day. Placing a hand to the small of his back, he felt something unnerving. It wasn't flesh. It felt like burlap. Like a small burlap bag filled with sand and stones and concrete. What was happening? Revelry breezed by, his manner light as ever. Hey, let's get going. We're meeting up at the Crown for drinks. Three men, seven women. So, odds are good this night ends well for both of us, huh? Hey, you coming? Hello? What are you, in a trance? Hey, if you want to buy a round for the house, don't say anything. Huh? I said, if you don't not want to buy a drink for everyone, say something. Wait, what? <laughs> everyone, head up to the crown. First round is on Faithful. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from pond5.com. To discover anew more texts from and about the earliest Baptists, head over to www.highandsilver.com. And for more audio experiences of my fiction, visit ZacharyBartles.com slash audio. High and Silver. Good. <laughs> <laughs>